Amen. Turn to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. You have your Bibles, your Bible app, Jude chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Only one chapter. Jude chapter 1. We're now in part 2 of our series, Fight for the Truth. Everyone say that. And this is a short but, but powerful, say powerful, a short but powerful book, or we can even call it a letter, but it's filled with a wealth of truth, a powerful punch. Now, now the purpose in Jude's letter was twofold. I shared this with you last week. He wanted to expose the apostates, the false teachers that had infiltrated the Christian community. And we learned that there was a growing movement of apostasy. Say apostasy. Now remember, friends, the word apostasy, excuse me, or apostate means those who never really had the true faith but pretended to be a part of it. And they were nominal Christians. In other words, Christians in name only. And so there was a growing movement of apostasy and false teaching arising in the Christian community seeking to infiltrate and disrupt the church. So he wanted to expose the apostates, the false teachers, but he also wanted to encourage, say encourage, Christians to stand firm in the fight, excuse me, in the faith and fight for the truth and to finish strong. Now before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 1 through 4 that we covered And you might remember this, Jude opens his letter by identifying himself as a servant, right? Say that, servant. Uh, Or we can also uh, say bond servant of Jesus Christ. And also as a brother, as the brother of James, who was a leader in the New Testament church, in the early church. So what Jude is doing is publicly and unashamedly identifying with Jesus Christ in the church of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed of his faith. He then reveals the condition for all believers. He identifies them in three different ways. Notice, called, then he says, who are loved or sanctified by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ or preserved in Jesus Christ. He then prayed for three specific areas in the life of believers. In verse 2, look at verse 2. He says, mercy, peace, and love be yours. And then what he does, he closes his prayer with the desire that these Areas be what? Multiplied. Say that, multiplied. So he says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in what? Abundance. That God's people, listen now, that God's people will have an abundant, overwhelming supply of his mercy, his peace, and his love. Now remember Jude's initial plan, or we can say initial intent, was to write to the believers a letter of what? Of encouragement about their common salvation, right? The salvation they shared with one another, right? But he changes his plan from encouragement to what? Exhorting, say that, the believers. Why? Why exhorting the believers? Why? Because he saw something dangerous in the church. He he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit, to address the problem of false teachers, of apostates. Look at verse 3 with me. By the way, this is the key verse of this letter, of this book. He writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, the common salvation, I felt I had to write and what? Urge you to what? Contend for the what? For the faith. Contend for the faith that was once for all what? Entrusted to saints. In the Greek, the word contend is epagonizomai. 
ep agonitsomai, and that means to fight, to, to agonize. And what Jude is saying, Jude is saying to contend, to fight, to agonize vigorously and earnestly for the faith, for the truth of God's word. Fight for that. Then he says that, that was once for all entrusted to the saints. In other words, it's unchanging truth. Say that. And we are to be stewards Right? Stewards is entrusted to us. We are to be stewards of this unchanging truth. We are to know it, we are to show it, and we are to share it. Then in verse 4, he writes, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. In other words, they're marked, these, these false teachers, the, uh, these apostates, are, they're marked and destined for condemnation. Then he says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have what? Secretly slipped, right? Secretly slipped in among you. They secretly and intentionally came into the church unnoticed, unnoticed with the goal of what? Polluting it. As I said last week, false teachers don't walk into the church with a t-shirt that says, hi, I'm a false teacher. No. They come in secretly to infect, infiltrate the church, to pollute it. And then Jude describes them by revealing three characteristics that expose them. Follow me now. He says, they are what? They are godless men. They are godless men. Then he says, who change or turn, this is what it says, the grace of our God into a license for immorality, a license to sin. The third characteristic is this, and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And we know, right, we learned that they denied Jesus Christ through doctrine, as in denying the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ and through lifestyle, not just doctrine, but through lifestyle, by their godlessness and by their godless and immoral behavior, they denied the sovereignty and the person of Jesus Christ. This now brings us to today's text the title of my message today is Three Historical Examples. Everyone say that. So, so after challenging the believers to contend for the faith in view of those who have, what, crept into the church, Jude now gives three examples from the Old Testament, the Old Testament, that show the sinful characteristics of these false teachers and apostates and the certainty, say certainty, of God's judgment. God's judgment, say that. Three points, three examples from the text. We already say yes. Point number one, follow me, is unbelief. Write that down, say that. Unbelief. And what Jude does here, Jude draws on the example of the unbelieving Israelites who were destroyed. Did you get that? Look at verse five. Though you already know all this, I want to what? Come on, remind you that the Lord, I'm going to read this again. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you, you need to circle that, want to remind you, highlight that, underline that. I want to remind you that the Lord, earlier manuscripts say that Jesus, the New, New Living Translation says Jesus. I don't have time to get into that, but this shows Jesus' deity. He's Jesus Christos Kyrios. In other words, Jesus Christ is Lord. Got it? So he says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of where? Out of Egypt. 
but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, I want to read that again so you get it. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later what? Come on, what destroyed those who what? Did not believe. So what Judah's doing, Judah's reminding them of something that he supposes they already knew, right? And so he goes back to the Old Testament, reminding them that the Lord, having delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who didn't believe. Now, this was a Jewish audience. Got it? A Jewish audience. So they should have known this. They should have known all the stories of the Old Testament growing up. This is the Tanakh. They should have known Tanakh. This is the Hebrew Bible from Genesis to Malachi that consists of the Torah or the Pentateuch or the Nevi'im or the Ketuvim. They should have known this. Now, though the story was commonly known among the Jews, perhaps they forgot the story. I don't know. Perhaps they forgot the story of the deliverance from Egypt and the struggles in the wilderness that led to the destruction of those who didn't believe. And so Jude says, I want to remind you of this. So here's the lesson. Are you ready? Here's the lesson. Be reminded of truth. Be reminded of truth. Why? Because we're forgetful. Are you with me? We're forgetful. Research shows that within an hour after hearing a message, within an hour after hearing a message, people will forget up to 75% of what they heard. So everything you hear in this message today right now, within an hour, (laughs) say that, within an hour after hearing it, you will only remember 25% of what you've heard. Now, I got to tell you, as, as your pastor, that's not real encouraging. It's not. It's not, you know. I pour hours and hours and hours into this, and it's not real encouraging. But that's okay. Say, that's okay. Because every Sunday, I will continue to preach God's word, God's word, not my opinion or, my, or philosophy, but God's word, remind you of the truths of God's word that perhaps you've forgotten. And this is how we, listen now, this is, this is how we as pastors reinforce the truth by reminding you. I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon, but to put us in remembrance, to call to mind things forgotten. Love that. It says in Luke twenty two nineteen. write that down. You might know this, Luke twenty two nineteen. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in... In what? Remembrance of me. Both Paul and Peter, which these guys are amazing, right? Reminded their readers of the truth. Constantly reminded their readers of truth. They, they use repetition. And that's awesome, repetition. In Romans, write this down in Romans chapter 15. Verse 15, Romans 15, 15, Paul writes this. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Did you get that? To remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Write this down in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 12, because there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter writes this, so I will always remind you, always, say always, 
remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So these are, listen now, perfect participles. In other words, it signifies something that has happened in the past, but listen now, the results continue in the present. In other words, friends, follow me here. This is truth they have known and continue to know that they have been established in and continue to be established in. But Peter still wants to tell them. He still wants to tell them of this truth again and again and again. He wants to stir them up by reminding them. That's awesome about Peter. Peter is letting them know that he will always be in the process of reminding them. He wants them to have these truths well in hand to be constantly focusing on God's truth, okay? Listen, he's gonna, re- listen, he, he, he's gonna remind them. Why? Why is he gonna, Peter going to remind them? Why? Because they're forgetful. And guess what? So are we. Yeah? So are we. And this is why we need to be reminded. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, reminded. This is why repetition is so important. The same foundational, say foundational, Truth, which we already know, is essential for continued growth in our faith. we got to hear it over and over and over and over again. I've been your pastor for 29 years. It's a lot of years. And you've heard me preach a lot of sermons. A lot of sermons. And it's not like I'm telling you something new, friends. Really, it's not. Like I'm telling you something new, okay? It's not new revelation, it's repetition of foundational truth. You've heard it before. The things that I've shared with you, have heard it before, right? Most of you know these things. I'm just reminding you, reminding you of them. I might give you some insights that you didn't know, but I'm just simply reminding you of them. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, if you're safe, say amen. We are never, listen now, friends, listen now, we are never beyond the need to be reminded of what we already know. And this is what Jude is doing. He wants to remind them about the rebellion of the Israelites as they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. Let's go back to the text. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. So they knew the story. Hopefully they did, right? We all know the story, right? We all, we all know the story. God had sent what? Plagues, he had sent plagues into Egypt. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt as they were on their journey. Here comes Pharaoh's army, right? We know the story, Pharaoh's army, but God provides a miracle. Say that, God provides a miracle, opens up the Red Sea, and the Israelites, what? Walk through the sea. Then God closes the Red Sea, right? Drowning all of Pharaoh's army. Then as they continue, the Israelites, as they continue on their journey, God provides food for them, manna from heaven, and water, water from a rock. Got it? Not to mention a cloud during the day. We know the story, right? A cloud during the day to guide them and to protect them from the hot sun, and a fire, listen now, a a pillar of fire at night to guide them and to keep them warm. That's pretty awesome, huh? I mean, you think about it. I mean, these people just saw God just there. Right? Pretty awesome, right? Well, let's read the rest of the text. But later destroyed those who did not believe. After seeing all that God had done, some of them did not believe. How mind-blown is that? This is a rebellion of unbelief. 
Listen, after coming through the Red Sea, the people complained. Say complained. About how hard it was living in the wilderness. How difficult it was. And they complained about the water. They complained about the food, right? Oh, man, more manna? They complained because Moses, listen, they, they complained because Moses was spending too much time with God. Complain, 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 complain. Grumble, 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 grumble. And rather than being thankful for their deliverance, they grumbled and complained. Huh? How many times have you seen God do some wonderful things in your life? Hmm? Past, right, right, and present. And in the future, you're going to see him do some wonderful things, right? And yet, how many times we complain? Huh? They complained and they grumbled. Then in Numbers chapter, chapters 13 through 14, you go home and read that, Numbers chapters 13 and 14, Moses sent 12 spies, we know the story, to the promised land, right, so that the people would know what was up ahead of them. Well, they came back. Right? They came back reporting on what the, the promised land was like. There was milk. There was, there was honey. Uh, there was wonderful giant fruit. I mean, big clusters of grapes, but there was also giants. And 10 of the spies focused on how big the giants were, with, while two of the other spies, Joshua and who? Caleb, focused on how big their God is. But when the people heard about the giants, this is how they responded. Numbers chapter 14, write it down, verses 1 through 3. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3. We read out the New King James Bible. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why, this is what they say, why has the Lord brought us to this land to, to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better, listen now, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Well, listen to God's response. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, and verse 23. Verse 11, Numbers 14, and verse 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? After all they've seen that I've done, Moses, how can they not believe me? Verse 23 of Numbers 14, they certainly, this is what he says, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who reject me see it. So as a result, those who didn't believe didn't make it into what? The promised land. Remember what they said? If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. And God's like, okay, all right. All right, you want that? Okay, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, give, I'll grant you what you want. And for the next 40 years, the next 40 years, it was a burial ground. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, all who were 20 years of age and older, in the wilderness, died. Died. It is estimated that 1.2 million people died in the wilderness, which means there were about from 60 to 80 funerals per day. Huh. Now, you would think, right? I mean, don't you think that they were reminded as one person was being buried after another, after another, that God will judge those who turn away and do not believe in him? You would think. 
And you see, God did this because of unbelief and apostasy. Those who never really had the true faith but pretended to be a part of it. They were there, they were around there, but they were really not part of it, truly a part of it. It was their unbelief that led them to their destruction. They didn't believe God. They didn't stand for what was right. They didn't stand for what was true. They allowed evil, listen, allowed evil influence to take over their hearts. That's why they died in the wilderness. Now listen, friends, and I want you to get this. God, say God, was merciful to them in their deliverance, but he was also just in their rebellion of unbelief. Listen, God does not condone sin. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. He's God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And you see, Jude's point is that the deliverer can also be the destroyer. And the Savior can also be the judge. Listen, friends, God is love. Say that. We know that God is love, right? But God is also just. We can't have one without the other. He's the God of love, but he's also the God of wrath. And people don't want to talk about the God who's just. They don't want to talk about the God of wrath. They just want to focus on the God of love, which he is, but he's also a God who's just. God of wrath. And this is a sober, listen now, reminder that God will not turn a deaf ear or blind eye to sin and rebellion. He won't. He did it with Israel. And he won't, he won't, excuse me, within the church. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Examine yourself. That's the lesson. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Let's go back to verse 3 of Jude. Let's go back to verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to what? Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Let me ask you this. Do you share in the common salvation? Do you? Are you a part of God's family? Do you contend for the faith? Let me ask you this question. Are you a contender or pretender? Hmm? Just a poser? What are you? So examine yourself. Examine yourself to see and to know that you are of the faith. Test yourselves. Say unbelief. Number two is rebellion. Write that down. Say rebellion. And what Jude does now, he now draws an example of the fallen angels who rebelled against authority, against God, against authority. And these angels were judged. Look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, in other words, their own abode, or their own dwelling, that was there in heaven with God. These he has kept, these he has, God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. Now there are some who debate about the identity of these false of these fallen angels, and some say that this is referring to Genesis chapter six, Genesis chapter six, where they were a group of angels who who chose not to remain in their privileged position, in other words, their habitation, which was in heaven near God, but chose to come to earth 
and to get involved in immorality and apparently took on, this is now human body, the form of a human body, and actually were involved with human women and produced an odd race of giants known as the Nephilim. Some of you might know that story. Others believe it's referring to the fall of Satan and the one-third of the angels that fell with him in rebelling against God. You'll find in Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah 14, 2 Peter 2, 4, and Revelation 12, 4 through 12. Isaiah, 1, Isaiah 14, 2 Peter 2, 4, and Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 through 12. But regardless of which of these interpretations are correct, okay, are the correct one, the point is this, friends, this is the point that the angels rebelled against God. And because they rebelled against God, friends, they will ultimately suffer, say suffer, the wrath of God and are kept in eternal bondage, bondage until the day of judgment. It says there, right, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains from judgment on, for judgment, excuse me, on the great day. So this place of imprisonment, is, is the bottomless pit called the, the Tartarus, the Tartarus, the Tartarus, or the abyss, the abusos, okay, mentioned in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And I talked more about, I talked about this in length when we did the, the series on Revelation, the book of Revelation. It's, the, it's, it's, it's what we call a holding cell for some of the evil angels. They were, listen now, they were the worst of the worst of demons. I mean, just bad, evil the worst of the worst of demons. In fact, I want you to write this down in Luke chapter 8. Write it down, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. You might know the story. It's a story of Jesus where he goes the other side of Galilee, the other side of Galilee, Luke 8, verses 26 to 38, goes the other side of Galilee, casting out a demon from a demon-possessed man. Now, Jesus asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon said, Legion. Not necessarily saying his name, but saying that there are more than one demon in this man. Because you know that, listen now, a legion of soldiers was about 6,000 men. Now, was there 6,000 demons in this man? We don't know. The demon, demons are liars, right? Right? Okay, so he could have been lying. But he says legion. Now, before Jesus cast the demons out of them, of this man, out of this man, excuse me, the demons begged. Listen now, if you read the story, the demons begged Jesus, listen now, begged Jesus, Right? To cast, not to cast them into the abyss, but rather to cast them into the herd of swine. Why? Because they knew that the worst of the worst was held in the abyss. We, we don't want to go where they are, man. See, even the demons, even the demons don't want some of the bad demons. Did you get that? Now, listen, not all demons, say not all demons, are there in the abyss. There are plenty of other demons who are not bound and who are roaming in the spirit world, active among the world. Got it? And I want to tell you, God will eventually judge and punish the fallen angels. He will also eventually judge and punish the ungodly. And this judgment against these fallen angels was a rebellion against authority and arrogance, say arrogance, that wasn't content with what God had given them. Now, I want you to think about it. Think about it. These angels saw God in all of his glory. How amazing is that? They were there in his presence. They experienced the greatness of God. They rebelled. They rebelled. We don't want to be here. And so they left. And now they are bound in eternal bondage until 
the great day, the great day of what? The judgment. Unbelief, rebellion. Number three is sensuality. Write that down, sensuality. Sensuality, write that down. Now, why does Jude draw from the example of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why does he do that? Because one of the marks or characteristics of the false teachers in verse four is they what? They turn the grace of God into immorality. That's why. They turn the gospel and its Christian liberty into, listen now, into a promotion of immoral sin. In other words, they were saying, the false teachers in Jude's day, the apostles were saying, we said this last week, right? Live any way you want, do whatever you want, because God is so good and God is so tolerant, he'll let you do anything you want to do. Not the God that I know of. Not the God in the Bible. Look at verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to what? Sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Did you get that? Let me, let me tell you, there is a hell. There, there is a hell. And here Jude refers to the account in Genesis chapter 19 where the homosexual conduct of the men of Sodom is described. Now most of us, we are familiar with the story, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and how the men of Sodom wanted to have homosexual relationships with two angels that God sent to that town and God judged that town. Now their sin clearly was homosexuality, but it included other sins as well. Could have been fornication, adultery, all kinds of stuff there. You see, those two cities didn't occasionally, didn't occasionally commit sexual sins. No, they indulged in them. Okay? It was their way of life. Not only the way of life, but sadly, listen now, it's also the way of death. And this is what brought forth God's judgment. So God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah on the basis of their sexual sin. Say that. Now, I just want to just, I need to say this because since homosexuality is such a hot button issue in our culture, and even in the church today, I want to say this. What the Bible says about the subject of homosexuality is counter to what our culture is saying. Our culture has embraced homosexuality as a normal lifestyle, but the Bible has never seen it that way. The Bible that I read, the Bible that I know, the Bible, the Word of God has never seen it there. And I want you to hear my heart here, please. The problem with those who practice the homosexual lifestyle is that they are interpreting the Bible through the lens of their sexuality rather than interpreting their sexuality through the lens of the Bible. The, the argument of hem homosexuality is not to be sociological, but to be theological, based on the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, that lifestyle is called unnatural. And this is not the way God designed relationships to be. He designed a relationship between a man and a woman, a relationship in a heterosexual relationship. And I'll, I'll prove it to you, Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. You go home and read that. God made male and female. Man and woman. Matthew 19, verse 5. Ephesians 5, 22, 23. 
Listen, it was God who created human sexuality. If you read your Bible, you know that, right? And that it should be celebrated and enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. And friends, the Bible is very, very clear that all sexual activity outside the union of a man and a woman in both the Old Testament and also in the New Testament is considered immoral, sinful, and displeasing to God. Whether it's homosexuality, adultery, fornication, or pornography. Okay, not just homosexuality but those other sins as well. So, so here's a lesson, because I want you to hear my heart, okay? The lesson is this. Here's the lesson. Love and truth. Say that. As Christians, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, we need to give love and truth. Got it? Love and truth. Love, say love, we need to love them. We need to love them, not bash them. We need to love them, right? And get this, we can be loving, we can be loving without being approving or affirming of their lifestyle. Say love, say truth. Truth, love them, yes. Truth in that we will not back away from telling the truth. We can be loving and compassionate without compromising our love for God and his word. Love and truth. Listen, one of the highest forms, and here in my heart, of love is to tell someone the truth. That we love them and that you and I, that we love them enough to tell them the truth because God's word is truth. And his word, listen now, God's word has been unwavering on this subject. Has been unwavering on this subject. God has not changed his mind. He has not changed his mind. See, the fact that the world has turned that way doesn't mean that God's word changes that way. But we've got to be loving and truthful. Hey, it, it's, it hit home with me, my family. It's tough. But you got to love them, but also tell them the truth and stand for the truth. Amen? There's also another lesson. Are you ready? Purity. Say that. Yeah, perhaps, you know, well, you know what, I'm not practicing the homosexual lifestyle. I'm good on that. You know, I, I don't have same-sex attractions. Oh, yeah? Well, let me ask you this, Christians. What about fornication? What about adultery? Doing hanky-panky with someone other than your spouse. Let me ask you this, Christians, what about pornography? Because at times, I just feel sometimes as Christians, we're so quick to judge those outside of the church failing to look at our own sins. Purity, say purity. God designed you for purity. And he's called you and I as believers to live pure lives. And it's designed to, listen, operate Purity designed to operate in a faithful marriage between a man and a woman. Are you with me? And I, I got to tell you, you know, I told my wife the other day, you know, babe, what I'm about to preach on Sunday, if God doesn't come back in five years, I'll be put in jail for saying this. They'll consider this hate speech. 
But I'll tell you, I'll have one of the biggest prison ministries ever. Amen? I'll have a captive audience. There's just no, I mean, right? I mean, you just, just, right? Right? But I must share the truth, but share it in love. So let's wrap this up. <sighs> Jude is using all these three examples, if you notice as we went through the text, to say this, and I believe he's, he's, he wants to say this to, to, to the, those who he's writing to, to us as believers. Contend for the faith. Man, you guys contend for the faith. You fight vigorously and earnestly for the faith. And do not allow, listen, do not allow the evil of your day to influence your life or to drag you away from God. And this is what happened to the Israelites and to the fallen angels and to Sodom and Gomorrah. Unbelief, rebellion, and sensuality were sin's characteristic of the false teachers' apostates. And the bottom line is this. They will be judged. Friends, the ungodly will be judged. Leave them in God's hands. Now, as for us believers, as I wrap this up, if you're saved, say amen. We need to daily and vigorously and earnestly contend, defend, fight, and stand up for the truth.